Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review on this fine July 31st. And let me tell you, Congress is not allowed to stay in session one minute of August 1st. So today is a rush day. And that's why we are here to review what is going on. Because let me tell you, folks, I actually watched the debate. Now, it's not the debate you think I'm talking about, not the Democrat debate, because there's no purpose. And so unlike me watching that, there's no purpose in most of you watching that. I understand if you want some levity and entertainment, that's fine. But if you're serious about the future of this country, You need to understand that there was a debate going on, a GOP debate, not just a Democrat debate. There was a GOP debate going on. As we are recording today on Wednesday, there is a debate continuing to go on in the Senate. See, every day there is a debate in the executive branch, in the Senate where Republicans control what goes on. Future policy outcomes, this country, immigration, sovereignty, that includes everything. Culture, security, fiscal cost, the budget. And as conservatives, and any conservative with a megaphone, conservatives with bigger megaphones than mine, they have the ability to easily influence that outcome. See, when it comes to Democrat debate, no conservative commentator, policy guy, famous guy, radio host is able to influence what they do. They're going to do what they do. They're going to be as extreme as they're going to be. The American people don't want what they're selling. That was very evident last night. But the question is, what are conservatives who have influence with the Republicans who can make a difference? What are they doing? So as we speak, Republicans are about to pass this insane budget, $2 trillion debt ceiling increase with record debt already accrued. Give the Democrats everything they want on the budget caps when when they don't have to do that. Give away all of the leverage for the remainder of this presidency on immigration. And I feel like I'm the only one watching that debate. And even with such little pressure from outside conservative groups. Let me tell you, these senators don't want to go on the record as giving a blank check of debt. So as we speak now, Mitch McConnell is struggling to get 27 or 28 Republicans, 27 Republicans to support it. He doesn't want to get embarrassed like in the House where we had Almost every Democrat vote for it and the majority of Republicans vote against it. So he's twisting arms. Now is when every Republican who spent hours engaging and commentating on the stupid Democrat debate. Now is the time they could get involved and expend as much energy that they expend dealing with the Democrats. They could deal with their own party over which they have influence. And they could stop this in its tracks force them to stay in for August and get a better deal. But of course, we don't have a movement. I know a lot of you like my football analogies, so I'm going to continue with that. Basically, what's going on is this. You got a team on the field, your opponents, that are the Keystone Cops. They can't help themselves. They're awful. They'll carry the ball a half a mile an hour on the field They'll hold the ball out in front of them that it could easily get stripped away. They'll make passes that could easily get intercepted. And we have a whole bunch of people in the stands on the side against that team that's sitting and opining, haha, look at how crazy these guys are. Look how nuts they are. Oh my gosh, there's no way they could win this game. And you know what? They're right. If you actually had an opposing team on the field. Call on the play calls, do's and don'ts, 
Make this tackle. Don't go there. Make this play. You could easily prevent them from getting the ball in the end zone and you could score your own points and you could win the game. But guess what? We don't have a team on the field and to the extent we sometimes do, they're driving the ball into the end zone for the other side. They're scoring, scoring points for the other team. So yeah, I mean, they have a very beatable team drawing that analogy over to the reality, meaning what the Democrats are selling is extremely radical as three Democrats on stage last night, which who, by the way, are not even moderate. They're like Obama Democrats, not Bill Clinton Democrats or Obama Democrats. They're just not like the 2019 Democrats. They told their colleagues on stage, they said, look, you're going to blow this general election if you're for complete socialism, for open borders and things like that. You got to represent the working class American taxpayer. So all of my colleagues are discussing that, and that is true. But if you don't have men on the field, they win anyway. And what do I mean by that? Literally, the GOP debate that's taking place in the administration and in the Senate right now. Republicans are walking the ball into their end zone. See, what people don't understand as they watch this debate, they're like, man, these guys are radical. Sure hope we, we beat them. There's no way they could win or... Man, I'm sure glad they don't have power. Let me tell you two important facts on that. Number one is Republicans agree to everything they want to do, minus the most extreme current iteration. So if they're out there pushing a level 10, our guys are already agreeing to a nine until they wind up agreeing to the 10 in order to fight and distract about the level 11 and 12 that Democrats want to push in the future. So that's what's going on there. But then there's the second point that Republicans are accomplishing for the Democrats when, when they control two branches of government, the Senate and the White House, what these guys are talking about. I want you guys to understand that almost everyone on that stage that's a member of the House or Senate is voting for this very budget being promoted by Trump and congressional Republican leaders, but is opposed by the majority of rank-and-file Republicans. So Republicans in office are promoting a socialist budget. They say, oh, look at the Democrat socialism, and then they promote socialism. And that's really where we can make our influence. Like I said, with the radicalism of, of the Democrat candidates, Trump could easily win re-election. But the Democrats win either way because Republicans give them what they want. And then you have the other half of this, which is the courts. If we're going to agree to the notion that any Democrat judge anywhere that shares the views of Elizabeth Warren, that shares the views of Bernie Sanders, and there are hundreds of them on the federal bench, could just snap their finger and say, no border, Medicaid forever. You know, everyone's debating Medicare for all. I have an article out yesterday. Um, you, could, you could see over here that... A federal judge just declared himself king over Medicaid. He's single-handedly dictating Medicaid, even for able-bodied adults that could work and states want to impose work requirements. He, he's just nullifying them. Not that a judge has that power, but we agree that they have that power. They have neither force nor will. But we give them such power. Single district judges accomplish for the left everything they're talking about. 50-year culture battles overnight without firing a shot and without any electoral reprisal. In other words, you know, you look at the debate stage, you're like, holy hell, these guys can't get elected. And if somehow they did, there would be a massive blowback two years later in the elections against them. As the three less radical Democrats on stage tried to warn their colleagues. But guess what? When you have district judges quietly implementing the agenda without any pushback from a GOP Senate, without any pushback from a GOP run executive branch, even when statute says that they, they are not allowed to rule on these cases. No one even knows about these rulings. It's then viewed as law and Republicans don't point out that it's not the law and Democrats don't suffer anything. So they get their cake and eat it, too. They get what they could never implement. With 435 members of the House, 100 members of the Senate, the presidency. 
because even if they had that power, there's a certain amount that they're just scared of the electorate that they're not going to do. One judge could implement for them. Think about that. That's why we're forever focusing on the need to push back against the courts. Stolen sovereignty. Get your copy. Um, it doesn't have to be this way. And then again, politically, even without the courts, Republicans give them everything they want on budget. Now, some of these Teletubbies are out in full force today. Well, Daniel, they don't control the House. What do you want? Always excuses. So first of all, they said the same thing for the first two years when they did the same thing. There's nothing new here when they did control the House and they had all three branches. So don't give me that. There's nothing new here. But moreover, let me explain if I haven't been clear what is going on here. The issue is the duration over which they're capitulating, how long they're giving them the budget cap busts and the debt ceiling increase and how early they're doing it. To be clear, this is not September 30th, 24 hours away from a dreaded government shutdown. We are two months away. Okay. Moreover, all Republicans had to do was pass a clean CR and just keep current funding levels. And, it, and if you want to do a debt ceiling increase, do a three-month debt ceiling increase. Democrats would have no leverage to oppose that because then they'd be the one forcing it. Instead, Republicans gave them two years worth of both for the remainder of the Budget Control Act, for the remainder of, of the presidency. See, Democrats would always have looming over them the expiration of the budget CRs and debt ceiling increases that the budget caps and the spending cuts would revert. Again, the status quo, we weren't the ones that were trying to enact something new. We just had to hold the line on the status quo. I'm not saying we could have passed something new with the House. I'm saying they just had to hold the status quo. And at least fight and build the case the American people would understand. We have record debt. You don't just rip out the stop sign. The debt limit is not the problem. The debt's the problem. And if you're going to fund everything under the sun, you better believe you're going to fund border security. But no, they could have stayed in all August and done this. You know, another thing they could have done. Do you know that the Senate doesn't even need the House to confirm nominees, judicial nominees, executive nominees. There's a big problem that everyone in the Trump administration is acting. Everyone at DHS is acting. There's no confirmed agency or department head. And as a result, it's complicated. But because of that, all of the field directors at ICE and uh, HSI and, um, you know, Border Patrol anywhere, they're all acting or most of them are acting as well because they have to be kind of you know, appointed by a Senate confirmed uh, agency head. And Trump is having a lot of problems because he's keeping McAleen. And my understanding is because he's too scared to get someone confirmed. What if he would confirm a good guy tomorrow and demand that the Senate stay in session? The president has the power to call them back in session. Won't do it. Again, every day, conservatives have the ability to influence an infinite number of important policy outcomes in the Senate, in the executive branch. Do this. Don't do this. Literally, conservative review. What does it mean to be a conservative? Instead, we just ignore it, speak about things in the abstract. And we focus on the Democrats. But let me tell you. If you don't get on the field or if when you do, you score touchdowns for them, they're going to win. They're going to win even when they lose elections like they're winning now. They're getting more on budget than when Republicans only control one branch. And I'm sick of hearing this. Um, Daniel, we don't have the House. Yeah, but the, you're right. We don't have the House. And when I say we, I mean Republicans. I don't consider consider myself one. I'm an independent conservative. But. The last time I checked, Democrats don't have the Senate and they don't have the presidential veto pen. How about that? And the last time I checked, they said the same thing when Republicans did have the House. 
Well, we don't have 60 seats in the Senate. Yeah, well, the Democrats don't have 60 seats in the Senate either, nor did they have the House and the White House at the time. Imagine if we had a talk radio firestorm, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity. But no, they're going to be playing clips from the Democrat debate. It's meaningless. You're giving them what they want. Look how radical these guys are. Yeah. And they're supporting the budget that Trump is supporting because conservatives refuse to stand up. So we have this going on. Now, let me just make a note here. There's so much going on. I can't even keep track of everything going on here. It's insane. So let's get to the border. What can and cannot be done? I spoke with a government official last night, pretty high ranking official. And um, what I got from him very clearly, remember how he said this Guatemalan asylum deal will only work if you preemptively announce to the public and educate the public, have the attorney general do it, that the courts have no jurisdiction. Statute at USC 1158 explicitly strips the courts of any ability to review it. And number two, you have to turn people back. You have to hold the line at the border. The Northern District of California, the San Francisco judge in 1996, of all people, said that the president has not just delegated authority, but inherent Article 2 authority to control foreign commerce and foreign affairs to deny entry to anyone. Numerous statutes mandate it because of the criminality coming over, because of the health concerns, because they're all public charge. People forget about that. They're explicitly coming for welfare for anchor babies and for hospital stays. That makes them inadmissible. They're officially coming for labor, which makes them inadmissible under 1158A5. A4 for, uh, for public charge. And we don't enforce it. And what I got clear from that official last night is, yeah, they're going to sue. And yeah, there's nothing we can do. What do you mean there's nothing you can do? There's no magical button that a court like enjoins something. They have neither force nor will, as as Judge uh, William Pryor of the 11th Circuit often says. Judges are no greater than the persuasiveness of their writing. Now, even if you believe you should defer to them, but when statute clearly barred them from hearing it, you got to enforce the statute against that. They don't have the ability to do it and they're not allowed to hear the case. But they're like resigned. So I said, is there no floor? No, nothing. So even without a plaintiff, I guess a judge could turn on the lights in his courtroom and just legislate. I want to do this and they'll they'll be fine with it. And then as far as turning people back, he was like, oh, we'd never turn people back. I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? It's required by law. It's a, Article four, section four. You have to per- stop an invasion. You know. Let me, let me get to the first piece of evidence I want to admit into our court session here. There was a hearing yesterday with, um, you know, let me just get my, get my iPad here so I could read this to you. There was a hearing on, I think it was Senate Homeland Security Committee, where Mark Morgan, the acting CBP commissioner, testified. And I want to read to you something that is truly, truly astounding. And, and just very scary at the same time. From Senator Langford. Now, I've heard this for a long time, but here we have it on the record from a senator. It's not just that the bogus asylees and the cartels using them and weaponizing them to tie down border agents are allowing thousands upon thousands of criminals, child molesters, murderers to get into the country. What we call runners, you know, getting through when. You can't really see, you can't apprehend them. We're getting them, they're starting to come in openly. Okay, openly. They're surrendering. They're coming in right to them. And we're releasing some of them. We're releasing some of them. You know, yesterday in Arizona, CBP put out a press release. And by the way, every day there's press releases up the wazoo of illegal alien child molesters. And I want to get to that if I have time. That is an epidemic that no one wants to talk about. Republicans refuse to make that play, that messaging play on the floor. But 
this guy was caught and it said that he was caught, a guy convicted, previously deported, convicted on child molestation, came in with a group of 30 women and children. And I remember once asking a border agent friend of mine, and I said, don't these people fear that we're going to easily pull up the record and you know, discover it? He's like, I got news for you, Daniel. I'm forced to release some of these guys every day. They come in with a kid. And, you know, the bottom line is. When you have 100, 200 people come from the jungles of Honduras and Guatemala at Border Patrol in one shot. They have no way to ensure that they know who they are and properly identify them and vet them. That is, you could take that to the bank. So they're catching a lot of criminals, but there's a lot that they aren't. So Senator James Langford, who usually isn't good on this issue, but I give him credit, he said at the hearing that he spoke to two separate Border Patrol agents and had two separate incidents where they released, not just didn't catch, but actually released two illegal immigrants who had arrived with a child, only to find out afterwards that they had been released for murder and pedophile. And one, one is a pedophile. Here's from Senator Langford. So I'll tell you what I heard this past weekend from some of the Border Patrol folks that I talked to there on the border. They gave me two specific examples that have happened recently. That they released an adult and then found out after they released an adult with a child and then found out two weeks later that the adult had a murder warrant in their home country and they released him into the country and they could do nothing about it. I also found out that one of the agents was telling me they had released an adult traveling with a child and then found out after they were released um, that he was a convicted pedophile from that country now traveling with a child. The other thing I heard and I thought was interesting, this is Senator Langford here, was that it was, it was children that were maybe seven to 10 years old that were traveling with adult males, right? That's what he thought. It's usually seven to 10 years old. But when I got to the facility in McAllen last week, it was almost all infants and very young children. And when I asked about that, they said they were able to pull people out and separate the child from the adult, interview the child, and the child could often tell us that that's not my dad. So basically, what they're doing now, you know what they're doing? Now, they're going ahead and bringing in infants who can't talk and can't contradict their stories. Let me just read to you what I'm talking about from Border Patrol. Tucson, this is a CBP release yesterday. Tucson Border Patrol agents arrested a previously deported sex offender outside of Ajo on Saturday after he re-entered the country illegally through the desert. And they basically say, agents conducted criminal database checks, learned that Pedro... Nolasco Garcia, 52-year-old Guatemalan national traveling with women and children, was convicted of lewd or lascivious conduct and failure to register as a sex offender on July 31st, 2015 in Jacksonville, Florida. <sighs> what is so hard? For our lovely Republican senators and the president and the attorney general and the DHS secretary to stand before the American people and say the following. Immigration is antithetical to a right. There is no right to enter. The president has unilateral authority for any reason, delegated and inherent to deny entry to anyone for any reason. So that's the baseline. But even if the Constitution said that the right to immigrate shall not be infringed. Doesn't that sound familiar? It says that about guns, self-defense. And even then, even as conservatives, we agree, you reach a point where there is a clear state interest that balances out that individual right, even a foundational individual right of an American citizen, where, look, you can't walk into a courthouse with a bazooka. So a state has the right to regulate, even though it says shall not be infringed in the strongest, most, most emphatic terms. Let's say it said the right to come in and seek bogus asylum or whatever shall not be infringed. You would reach a point 
where if the most criminal terrorist organizations are weaponizing that to steal children, to bring in child molesters, to bring in endless criminals. And we're like, but, but Daniel, the court said I have to release anyone with a kid in 20 days. Well, what if cartels weaponize for them to now come in and bring in kids and they have no claim and they're criminals and they're public charges and they're bringing in diseases and they're bringing in their culture of child molestation. They're harming not just Americans, but the very children for which these stupid judges and the pathetic media is virtue signaling over. What then? Do you still have to do that? How much more so that the Constitution doesn't say any of this? None of it. Statute doesn't say it. Statute says they shall be detained. The Senate passed that statute in 1996 unanimously, and it was signed into law by President Bill Clinton. Yet a judge creates a florist. It's not a law. It was a settlement. Even then, it only only applied to unaccompanied children. This piece of garbage from California, Judge Dana Sabra extends it to even children with an adult. They have to be released. Makes it up. Lawless. Antithetical to law. Antithetical to Constitution. Antithetical to 130 years of case law. Antithetical to the rules of standing. And by the way, a Texas judge, Judge Andrew Hannon, said that this is criminal. You're not allowed to do this. But a single California judge, when by the way, 98.2% of family units apprehended are coming not in California, mostly in Texas. How hard is it for the administration to stand before the American people for Trump to give a televised address and say, even if I would abide by Flora's settlement, it's not a suicide pact like the Constitution itself isn't a suicide pact. Justice Robert Jackson, the big champion of due process and individual rights, he was the dissenter in Korematsu, the Japanese internment case. He was the lead prosecutor in the Nuremberg trials. He was the guy who said that Foreign nationals do not have a right to enter, a due process right to enter, nor to remain in the country against the will of our government. But he also said famously, you can't make the Constitution a suicide pact. He said that with regard to a Chicago ordinance limiting speech of a certain person because he was inciting violence. That was an American and that was straight up First Amendment. And he said there would be a limitation. You're talking about the right to invade our border through cartel smuggling and enable 50 million cascading evil effects on the American people. And it's a Flora settlement, which was expanded lawlessly by a single judge who doesn't have jurisdiction. And it's in a case where they're not even in an area of the country. They're mainly not coming. And you're telling me, oh, Daniel, there's nothing we can do. Let's fold up shop. Give me a freaking break. The Constitution could never mandate such an outcome. All things equal, you say you have a right to immigrate. I mean, you don't. I'm just saying hypothetically, let's say you would. But if they would game it out that we're going to create a, a scam industry of people coming with with a child and, and enabling criminals to get in, tying down Border Patrol. What is so hard? But you know what? I got more for you. There are so many child molestation cases. I don't even have time to go through all this in my notes. I really don't. We'll try to get it here. There are two cases yesterday from Louisiana. Two cases. So Border Patrol in um, New Orleans, working with the U.S. Marshals, they arrested a guy who's charged with three counts of first degree rape against a child between 2014 and 2016. So this is a three year relationship. This guy. What was the piece of garbage's name? Andres Fuentes Castro, 44. Um, I'm going to have an article on this. Coming out, I'm just reading from my rough draft here. He was an illegal alien from El Salvador. This guy has been a fugitive since 2010. So they arrested him. Now, let me just, before I get into what I want to say with this, on the same day, Miguel Martinez, also in Louisiana, Attorney General Jeff Landry from uh, Louisiana, announced he had been previously deported in 20, 2005. He was arrested in Louisiana on 100 counts of possession of child pornography involving juveniles under 13 years old. 
um, and one count of sexual battery against a juvenile under 13 years of age. Why, why is Senator Bill Cassidy, the Republican from Louisiana, not talking about these two cases? Instead, he's pushing Ivanka care. I want to get to that tomorrow, by the way. A new entitlement. We're not in debt enough. We're not distorting the market enough. We don't have enough European socialism. Oh, I'm from the RNC. I'm going to put out a press release. Look at the Democrat socialism. Yeah, and then Republicans promote the same stuff. And of course, all, all the conservative media is silent because no one's conservative anymore. But anyway, this is another example of a child molestation that didn't have to take place. Back to the first guy, this um, Castro guy. From El Salvador. He was arrested. He was arrested for some sort of traffic violation in 2007. They were about to deport him. And then they found out, guess what? He had TPS status, temporary protected status. This is another lawless problem that previous administrations, and now despite promises, this administration has refused to change, has bastardized another immigration program. Where a guy who should never have had the status, he was given it illegally, if you look at law, he should have been deported then, but we weren't able to deport him at the moment. Now, he, in the end, it was, it expired and he didn't renew it as of 2010, so he was a fugitive. By the way, it looks like the guy had several other arrests. I looked up his criminal record. He also has outstanding $27,000 in child payments that he hasn't paid, Um, and I got the right birthday, so I'm assuming it's the same guy. But I just haven't published that on the record yet. Now, this guy could have been deported. Now, usually it's because of sanctuaries that let them go. But this was a federal policy. Real briefly, and the reason why I'm going into this to straddle both, you know, child sex offenses and uh, um, TPS is because it's going on in Congress right now, right now. So. If you look at our laws, our laws have a lot of discretionary leniencies that not mandatory, but if the attorney general, DHS secretary want to extend relief to a certain guy um, and not deport them. They could do it, and the laws are not the problem. It's the insidious executive branch, and I include even under the Trump administration and the courts that are the problem. It's the other two. It's the two unelected branches stealing the sovereignty of the American people. James Madison said very clearly, everything in a republic has to flow directly or indirectly from the people. You know, it could be indirectly filtered through representatives, not direct democracy, but it's got to flow from them. And the most important issue he wrote in his essay on sovereignty in 1835, just before he died, he wrote an essay on sovereignty, is is citizenship. The most important decision a society is going to make is to determine who we are going to let into that society and render opinions on every other issue. They get to vote on every other issue, right? Every other election. That of all things has to flow from the people, which is why birthright citizenship for illegals is not, not just against the constitution and case law. We'll go into that another time. It's also against the social compact. You can't steal that without the permission, without the consent of the people. So we have tightly narrowed laws that, you know, okay, if you're illegal, but you're a a witness in a very major case, we'll give you a U visa. Um, These these statuses that were designed for five people. What the immigration lawyers did is they got the courts and the lawless executive branch over the years to apply these statuses to run of the mill illegal aliens and just. Give them all sorts of status. So you have people living in this country that are now citizens, green cards, have children. They'll be documented as a citizen or a legal immigrant. But really, they came here illegally and they should have remained here illegally. They should have been deported. One of them is temporary protected status. It's a very simple, common sense idea. It was designed that if you're here legally, let's say you're here on a tourist visa and you're vacationing in Disney World. You're from a country in anywhere, Latin America, let's say. And there's an earthquake, there's a hurricane, and you just literally, my visa is going to expire in 30 days. I can't return. So the DHS, they don't have to offer it, but there's discretion. If they want to, for six months, they could give it to you. They could extend it for another six to 18 months. 
But what has happened is over the years, it was passed in 1990 and the Clinton, Bush and Obama administrations allowed it to go on forever for 20 years and apply it to illegal aliens. Everyone. So all the people who are illegal, like, oh, TPS. So El Salvador, this guy was from El Salvador. El Salvador had an earthquake in 2000, January 13, 2001. And they were designated as TPS status, so people could apply for TPS status. Most countries have, like, that we designate as TPS have 10 people with it, 100 people with it, 500 people with it. There are over 200,000 Salvadorans who got TPS status. Now, ask yourself this. Hmm, were there 200,000 people on a tourist visa vacationing in Disney World on January 13th, 2001? Uh, no. Uh, they wouldn't have the money to go there. They were illegal aliens who were here. And frankly, I suspect many who even came later wound up finagling themselves and getting the illegally getting the, pro, the status because we don't enforce the laws on the books. So that's how this guy in 2007, six years, at least six years after the status should have long expired, they kept renewing it illegally. That's how he was able to remain in this country and commit more sex crimes against minors under 13. Trump promised to get rid of it, but a judge said, you can't do it. Now, the statute says it's discretionary and it's temporary. And a judge said, I think Trump's a racist. He only likes Europeans. I'm not kidding you. So therefore, for you, Trump is permanent and mandatory. Now, statute says that TPS designation is unreviewable by the courts. And the Trump administration was like, OK, whatever you say. Look, we have no country left. Shut up about the horrible laws. The laws aren't the problem. It's the lawlessness of the executive branch on their own account and empowering the courts. Yes, the courts have no power. They are. They are refusing to enforce statute, including the statutes that limit the court's jurisdiction against the courts. Why don't you rush Limbaugh and all you guys weigh in on these debates? You could influence the administration now. But guess what? With an increase in illegal immigration every week now from Venezuela, where there are so many Islamists there, you have Iran controlling there. There's security threats. They have every disease under the under the sun. CDC put out a memo in the spring saying that their entire healthcare system collapsed. They have measles. They have mumps. They have dengue fever. They have polio resurgence. They said you can no longer uh, assume that um, polio is eradicated there. They're coming here. Pursuant to law, they're inadmissible. Now is the time we need to ensure they don't come. Yet Republicans, Rick Scott, senator from Florida, put out a press release, and there's many more. And demanded that we give TPS to Venezuela. The House passed it. And I will tell you, there's people in the administration like Elliot Abrams, who's in charge of the State Department's uh, desk on. Uh, he's like the envoy to Venezuela. He wants it. It's never about protecting the American people. But these are debates every day. There's 50 50 fights. You'll have. Ken Cuccinelli pushing good stuff on immigration and you'll have bad guys pushing bad stuff. We could give Ken and these guys firepower or we could ignore it and let him be overrun by the swamp. In a Republican in, in a Trump administration. I can't influence Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, nor, nor, nor do I care to do so. What I want is a competing vision to contrast whoever is running, what I want is a competing vision when you actually win the election and you have the keys to stop promoting their policies. That's what I want. So the bottom line is that nothing stands before illegal immigration when it comes to this administration, even under the Trump administration. They believe that when the wants, desires, and needs of illegal aliens inherently conflict with the security and safety and fiscal public charge on uh, where American people are on the hooks for that. When it conflicts with the safety concerns of the American people, 
the latter has to yield to the former. That is the most profound violation of governance. And it's rooted in our case law. It's rooted in our history since the colonial times. It's rooted in the Constitution. And no one's articulating this. So whether they bring in diseases and public charge, all of it is a public charge. We have an article today from Sheriff Lamb, you know, in Pinal County, where they have to pay for the hospitalization of the drug cartels. Nothing will prompt us to turn them back and say, we are going to secure the perimeter. This is an invasion. You have the cartels, you have the drugs, you have the gangs. You have thousands of criminals, thousands. Again, I'm going to point out to you that Homeland Security investigations found, and this is a document they sent to the Republican members of the House Homeland House uh, Oversight Committee. They found that in a Honduran caravan of about 3,000 individuals last January, there were 800 convictions among them. Those are prior convictions in America. God knows how many were criminals in their home countries we couldn't verify. And how many times they are arrested. You know, it's hard to convict anyone these days. These were these were convictions. That's how prevalent the criminality is. And yet still, we will not hold the line. We will not hold the line. A lot of people are talking about a border wall. And the administration is now bragging about, you know, their construction. And now they finally won a court case and they're going to go on constructing some of the border wall. I was the first to report this last, uh, maybe it was about six months ago. A border wall is meaningless if you don't have a border. Now, border walls are important, don't get me wrong. But if you don't have a border, if you don't respect your border, if you don't respect your sovereignty, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. Guess what? Our agents are bringing people in from behind the wall, even where we have a wall. They believe DHS and the political guidance they're getting from the crappy lawyers in the White House and DOJ and DHS. They believe that anyone who steps foot on our soil, we can't push them back. They came from Mexico, go back through Mexico. We are enforcing 1182F, inherent Article 2 authority, public charge, diseases, criminality, the cartels. Um, designate the cartels as terrorists, and then we're at war with them. This is a security perimeter issue. It's a military issue. It's not a law enforcement issue. But nonetheless, we bring them in. They go behind the fence. I want you guys to watch this video. It came out last week. Some of you might have seen it. Go take a look at border agents bringing them in. As you can see, this was in El Paso. And there is a border wall, a much celebrated border wall there. And it works. But if you go and bring them in, from behind the border wall, then, well, you brought them in. You could build a fence that's 200 miles long from uh, Brownsville to San Diego and have it reach the, the stratosphere or outer space. It doesn't matter. We bring them in. We bring them in. And yet this administration believes they can never hold the line. Look, you know, I just want to read to you. A friend of mine sent this to me who's in Border Patrol. U.S. Marine Corps has a manual on tactics, and they say, quote, how we view the combat environment in large part determines how we operate in it. Albert Einstein said, if I had one hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes defining the problem and five minutes solving it. Well, we spend a lot of times, you know, a lot of time here giving solutions, giving lists of ideas. But you have to identify the problem. The problem is not that we need new laws. We have the most emphatic laws that are stronger than anything the administration is uh, proposing that passed unanimously in 1996 and were signed into law by Bill Clinton. It says shall be detained. Yet 
The administration refuses to enforce them. We agree that any district judge under any circumstance could do anything and say the law is the opposite. Shall be detained means shall not be detained. So then leave me alone. We don't designate the cartels as terrorists. We don't treat the border as a strategic invasion, which it certainly is. So the entire Border Patrol tactics and their entire mindset is is misguided. And we're going to talk about that and develop that theme in the coming days, how all of the things that the political leadership of Border Patrol forces them to do and not do is all around a law enforcement mindset. And that's when they're doing it. Now it's not even that. It's just humanitarian straight up. It's all for the illegals, nothing for the American citizen. If you don't properly define the problem, then nothing matters. And I I just want to, before we end, because I forgot to mention this, I want to delve a little bit more in depth in the remaining minutes to uh, one of the core deleterious effects we're seeing from illegal immigration, that this alone should force us to shut this off. We, we touched on this a little bit yesterday. Many of you noticed that every day there's tons of Central American sex offenders, child sex offenders. And thinking like, hey, like, what's the deal? Now, there's certain things that are part of the culture, like DUIs, drug trafficking. But it's not just a matter of, oh, there's a lot of criminals we're letting in. That is true. There's a lot of criminals we're letting in. But this is much worse than that. It's a pervasive culture we're letting in. Look, if you let in a small number of people, legal process, assimilate them, they could be great people. And there are undoubtedly great people from all countries, including from the Central American countries. I want to read to you from the, and we'll link to this in show notes. This is an organization, Girls Girls Not Brides, the Global Partnership to End Child Marriage. This is their one-pager on Latin America. And they note that child marriage is a global issue which happens across regions, cultures, and religions. However, it is yet to be recognized as a major issue in Latin America and the Caribbean. Yet the region has four countries among the most affected globally, and trends over the past 30 years have shown that it is the only region not to see a significant change in rates of child marriage. Meaning even Africa, some other places, there's a more positive trajectory, not from here. And they go on to note, they, they, they list um, by country the percentage of girls married before 18. Nicaragua, 41%. Dominican Republic, we have a tremendous amount of illegal immigration from there, 37%. Honduras, 34%. Guatemala, 30%. But it's worse than that. Here's some context. Child marriage tends to happen more in rural areas than in urban areas. In Guatemala, over half of rural girls, mostly from Mayan indigenous populations, are married before 18. Folks, I told you this. uh, Acting Director Macalina and some of the chief patrol agents, when they testified before Congress, they said most of these people coming are not even Spanish. They're indigenous from the rural areas. This is what they do, folks. More than half of them marry younger kids. Other countries like Brazil and El Salvador, we're getting a lot of illegal immigration from Brazil, by the way. Um, Child marriage happens also in urban areas. Poverty, indigenous girls living in impoverished areas are especially vulnerable. These are the folks coming. So if you look at the 30% statistic, that doesn't tell the story because it's not the wealthy ones that are coming. It's the most impoverished indigenous population in the rural areas that are coming. The age difference between the underage brides and grooms varies with big differences in some contexts and smaller in others, in Central America, the average, average difference is five to seven years, a significant gap given the girls' young ages and the power differences between teenagers and males in their 20s. And they have a lot, they have a lot more. I don't have time to get into. We're going to try to delve into this at a, at a later date. Who is speaking for the American people? And remember, these are the people that are incentivized because of the expanded florist and all this garbage to bring in a kid. So God forbid, oh no, we're not allowed to care about Americans. I get that. Americans suck. Our government is of, by, and for illegal aliens, not Americans. But this is all about the children, right? The illegal alien children. You are putting them in the hands of people. Here's the deal. This is normal for them. You see all these girls that come to the border to have anchor babies, 14, 15 years old. Guess what? That's not incidental. That's part of a culture. 
they had to have sex with someone, that means that there's usually a 25-year-old guy having sex with a 13-year-old girl. Guess what? That doesn't stop at our border. When you bring them in, they're going to do that in our country. Hence, every day, there's tons of these cases that go unreported where they're arrested for child sex crimes. Because it's not just in America where you have like, you know, a no number of pervs or criminals here. It's systemic as part of the culture. More than 50 percent in these areas where they're coming from. The girls are married under 18, often well under 18. At 12, 13, at puberty, that's when they start doing it. Is this so hard to articulate? That we can't, as a nation, flourish. The Constitution can never dictate this. But a rogue, lawless, criminal opinion of a judge in a jurisdiction where they're not even coming overturning law that passed unanimously by the Senate and signed by Bill Clinton shall be detained. No exceptions, no time limits, no children. There's no shortcut. If the administration doesn't identify the problem as enforcing current law, you will never solve the issue. Why am I the only one saying this? I don't do it to toot my own horn. I'm just like, where is everyone? So we're just about out of time here. There's tons more I want to talk about. We're going to talk about the aftermath of this budget bill, the debt ceiling, Ivanka care. We're all socialists now. We're all for European style programs, distorting the market, creating a glass ceiling for women, by the way, because then people don't want to hire them as managers. If you do that, if it's paid family leave. Evidently, we're not bankrupting ourselves enough. For Republicans, Ivanka was out there yesterday praising it. We have tons more I could tell you about Border Patrol, the tactics, the cartels, personnel issues. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. I want you to send this show to 10 of your friends, 15 of your friends on YouTube, Stitcher and iTunes as well. If you only want to hear audio, if you're more old fashioned, if you don't mind seeing my uh, lovely radio face, then YouTube's the way to go. Subscribe to the Conservative Review YouTube channel. Make sure you like it. Ring the bell there. Give us a thumbs up. Till tomorrow, keep the faith, keep punching. God bless y'all.